Hello, baby. How's it going? Hey, Rabbi, how are you? Can you hear me? Good. Yeah, yeah, I can hear you. Okay, so let's do this. Let me do this right away, which is make you. How do I make you host? See participants. Hold on. Make host. Good. Change those to Levy. Yes. Okay, so now. Okay. I should be able to share stuff. So now you should be the host. Uh-huh. Okay, great. I have a question. Is there like a waiting uh, waiting room? I need to let people in? Yeah, yeah, there's a waiting room. So yeah, by default, there's a waiting room. But you'll see people will pop up and you'll just let them in as they come in. Got it. Okay. You had... Okay, great. Whatever questions for right now. Yeah, awesome. All right, go ahead. Thank you. Um, let me know how the class goes. Recording? You can yeah, I see a recording over here. Yeah, yeah, it's recording. So yeah, it's recording. You don't have to worry about anything. You have the PDF, right? You got the PDF that I sent? Yeah. Okay, beautiful. Okay, fantastic. Hey, so okay. let me know how it goes. Um, okay, good. I'm going to sign off. If when I sign off, so for some reason, like the chat ends, it shouldn't. But if anything happens wrong, just call me. Let me know. Okay. But it be You're going to sign up now? I'm going to sign up now. All, All right. right. Okay, I'll let you know. Awesome. All right. Okay. All right.
Hello, hello everyone. Surprise, surprise. Then. Huh? A lot of hard questions. Just like, like, Mr. McGordon. Hello. Woman's always driving home now. Are you not in yet? You in? I got a big. Hello, all. <laughs> hello, hello, everyone. Just introduce myself. This is Levy, Rabbi Levy. I'm filling in for Rabbi Solish. And in my nap, just a second. My jokes are not as good as them, but I'll do, I'll try. Okay, we'll just wait one more minute and we'll start off. Need to share the file, so just a second. You guys see my my screen the file i'm sharing yes 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 okay we'll start right now i'll ask um um to yeah, whoever is not talking to please mute himself so we have a better quality for sound. And yeah, one more time, this is Rabbi Levy. I'm filling in for Rabbi Solish. And let's just get straight into it. Okay, so we have the Parsha overview, overview uh, uh, details of what the Parsha is gonna um, talk about. I'm gonna ask from uh, who wants to volunteer and do some reading. I think I'll just go ahead. So God instructs Noah, the only righteous man in the world, consumed by violence and corruption to build a large wooden teva known as an ark. 
quoted within and without with pitch. A great deluxe says God will wipe out all our life from the face of the earth. Father Ark will float upon the water, sheltering Noah and his family, as well as two members, men and female, of each animal species. Rain falls for 40 days and 40 days and nights, and the waters churn for the hundreds and fifty more days before coming and beginning to recede. The ark settles on Mount Ararot, Ararat, and from its window Noah yeah, Noah dispatches a raven and then a series of doves to see if the waters were abated from the face of the earth. When the ground dries completely, exactly in the solar year, 365 days, that was the whole time since the beginning till the end, since they went in and told, since the flood started till they left the table. After the onset of the flood, God commands Noah to exit the table and repopulate the earth. Noah builds an altar and offers sacrifices to God. God serves never again to destroy all of mankind because of their deeds. Second, and he sets the rainbow as a testimony of his new covenant with man. God also commands Noah regarding the sacredness of life. Murder is deemed as capital offense. And while man is permitted to eat the meat of animals, he's forbidden to eat flesh or blood taken from a living animal. Noah plants a vineyard and becomes drunk on its produce. Two of Noah's son, Shem and Yafet, Japheth, are blessed for covering up their father's nakedness, while his third son, Cham, is punished for taking advantage of his father's debasement. So this is the overview of the Parsha. Yeah, we actually have a few more lines. The descendants of Noah remain a single people within a single language and culture, yet yeah, they had the same culture for 10 generations. Then they defy their creator by building a great tower to symbolize their own invisibility. God confuses their languages, the languages so that one does not comprehend the tongue of the other, causing them to abandon their project and disperse across the face of the earth, splitting into 70 nations. Yeah, that's the origin of all of languages and dialects. Parshat Noach concludes with a chronology of the 10 generations from Noah to Abraham. Abram actually at the beginning, later Hashem added uh, extra letter to his name and he became Abraham. And the latter's journey from his birthplace of Urkasdim to Haran on the way to the land of Canaan. So that's the overview, that's the, um, uh, in, in, uh, in just a few words, what the Torah, what this Parsha speaks about. We are going to analyze a little bit more, and we're going to focus on the topic of this class is going to be more about uh, languages or language or the sacredness or the importance of the way we talk and the language we use. We'll We'll go ahead and we'll uh, analyze this uh, verse, these few verses um, in which is talking about when, when already, um, when God instructs Noah to, to build the ark and, and to gather animals for the ark. I'm gonna ask from, I'm just looking around uh, the, the screen. So we'll go with uh, Linda, maybe you wanna read the verses. 
Oh, you have that? Can hear you. Um, we have the manual. Okay. We cannot hear you, but unless you want to pass. Linda? Could, could anyone hear Linda beside, or am I the only one not hearing? Can you hear me now? Now we could hear you, yes. Yeah, sorry, sometimes my headphones act strange. Um, okay, text 1A. And God said to Noah, come into the ark, you and all your household. For it is you that I have seen as a righteous man before me in this generation. Of all the pure animals, you shall take for yourself seven pairs, a male and its mate. And of the animals that are not pure, two, a male and its mate. Also the fowl of the heavens, seven pairs, male and female, to keep seed alive on the face of the earth. Great. So this is the verse in which God commands Noah about uh, gathering the animals. Um, yeah, right away, there is, um, there is a question that Rush is going to address. Rush is going to explain. And, uh, and, and the question is basically why this difference between pure animals and, uh, and non-pure animals. But Rashi right away on the spot, he, he clarifies the reason for this uh, difference. Um, so, so Rashi says like this, of all the pure animals that are destined to be clean for Israel, we learn from here that Noah studied the Torah. Yeah, because before in the Noah's time, the Torah wasn't given yet. But nevertheless, there are animals that are pure and animals that are impure or that, that not pure. And so this difference, Noah knew it already. And that's one of the, this is one of the sources that we know that Noah learned the Torah even before it was given. Yeah, it's explained what does it mean that they learned the Torah. It's more they knew the mystical meaning and, and all of the um, uh, mystical energies or or what Hasidic what philosophy calls it as, as unions. Yeah, every time we do a mitzvah, we unify with God. So that all of those unions, they were able to do it in a spiritual way. Nowadays, the main point is the physical, um, to elevate the physical. But in the times of Noah, or the, before the Torah was given, everything was done through a spiritual uh, channel. Yeah, no, and Rash explains, it says seven pairs so that he might offer up some uh, some as a sacrifice upon leaving the ark. So that's the reason, yeah, since sacrifices come only from um, animals that are pure, so that's why Noah had to take more animals. So at the end of the year, when they actually uh, left the ark, Noah was able to thank God that he was the, the chosen one or he was the privileged one to be able to, um, to, uh, to fulfill God's will and be the one to yeah save the world, literally save the world. But from this analysis, yes, so from these two verses, we're gonna move on and analyze. Yeah, sorry, I'm just gonna go back up. And, and as I said at the beginning of the class, we're gonna focus more on speech. So in the second paragraph, yeah. It says, all of the pure animals, you shall take for yourself seven pairs, a male and its mate. And of the animals that are not pure, two, a male and its mate. Now the question is, or what, yeah, something that it's uh, unusual, uh, it's in Torah, every word is precise. There's not such a thing as, as in the Torah that the Torah just you know, says few more words just because. If so, if so, that everything is precise, you know, in this space already, 
the Torah, there was a, there was a shorter way to say, um, or to, or to, to, to say, to, to command to Noah to take seven animals that are pure and two animals that are impure. But nevertheless, we see that, right, okay, right, right over here, the Torah says, and of the animals that are not pure. So the Torah kind of like makes a point of not mentioning the word and the animals that are, makes a point of not mentioning the word um, impure. And the question is why? Because apparently there is no, everything in Torah, as I said before, everything is precise. So every single word um, is precise in Torah. And therefore, if there's a shorter way how to say it, should have been said in a shorter way. And, uh, and also doesn't give us any more of, uh, yeah, seemingly apparently, doesn't give us any more explanation that what, or, or doesn't give us any more information that what we already have. Something that is not pure, something that is impure is the same. So why the Torah doesn't use the shorter version for the exact same purpose. And yeah, going, moving along. Yeah, irregular language. And if you're gonna say that, okay, the Torah doesn't wanna mention something that is not pure, the Torah doesn't wanna mention the word impure. So if we look further on in Leviticus, we find that the Torah actually mentions this multiple times, mentions the word impure or the word tamen in Hebrew. So that strengthens the, 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 the question by us of how come the Torah doesn't mention the word tamay by Noah. Yeah, I'm gonna ask uh, uh, Steve to please read uh, the following verses. Okay, uh, let me, all right, uh, text two? Yes, text two. Okay. Um, but these you, you shall not eat among those that bring up the cud and those that have a cloven hoof. The camel, because it brings up its cud, but does not have a completely cloven hoof. It is unclean for you. And the hyrax, because it brings up its cud, but will not have a completely cloven hoof. It is unclean for you. And the hare, because it brings up the cud, but does not have a completely cloven hoof. It is unclean for you. And the pig, because it has a cloven hoof, that is completely split, but will not regurgitate its cud. It is unclean for you. Thank you. So we see from here that multiple times, and actually over, if you go over the whole Leviticus, over a hundred times, the Torah uses the word unclean or the word tamay. Um, uh, uses the word tamay multiple times and, and seemingly doesn't have a problem using the word tamay. So if so, again, we see from here that the Torah uses multiple times Tamei, why by us in this week's Parsha, the Torah um, chooses not to use the shorter version and rather goes on the longer version. Yeah, before we, before we go ahead, um, uh, just a side point is that the Torah gives over here, one of the, one of the places that we, that we see or that proves that the Torah is legitimate. Yeah, of course, you know, it was given by God, but for those who, 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 who doubt about the Torah, one of the places is from, uh, from actually the, 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 from the, from, from the kosher species. And that is specifically by the fish. 
It says by the fish that what's a kosher fish? This a kosher fish is some, a fish that has fins and scales. And the Torah also says that if you see, or specifically in the halakha, it says that if you see a fish that has uh, fins, it for sure has scales. And even though you don't see it now, it might be because it's in a, it's, it's still it's immature and it didn't grow the, the, the scales. But every fish that has fins, it has scales as well. And yeah, going all the way to year 2015, there was a report in, uh, in one of the Israelis, in one of the Israeli newspapers that they found over 20,000 different species of fish uh, throughout the years. And none of them have, um, have scales and have no fins. So that just shows that something that the Torah said, yeah, two or three, three and a half thousand years ago, nevertheless is as real as today as it was back then. And, and, and you can prove it in a, even in the scientific world can prove it. But that was just the side point. Um, coming back to our point, we see that the Torah mentions multiple times the word impure. Now, if you might say, okay, I see that the Torah mentions multiple times impure and also by Noah mentions an animal that is not pure. But what, what's such a fuss? Why, why we are like all uptight about how many letters exactly the Torah is, is, is using to, to convey the message? The main thing is that you know what the Torah wants and, and to behave the way the Torah wants you to behave. So why are we all uptight? And we're gonna bring from the Talmud and we're gonna see how important is each one of the letters um, for us to understand why is a big deal why is it a big deal? The fact that the Torah only mentions or that the Torah mentions um, in a different way. Okay, who we have next? Who we have over here? Um, Richard. You wanna, you wanna do a reading of text number three? I don't know if you have the booklet, but if not, Rav Yehuda said in the name of Rav, when Moshe ascended on high, he found the Holy One, blessed be he, sitting and tying crowns on the letter of his Torah, of the Torah. Moses said to him, Master of the universe, who's preventing you from giving the Torah without these additions? God replied, there's a man who is destined to be born after several generations. And Akiva ben Yosef is his name. He is destined to derive from each and every thorn of these crowns, mounds upon mounds of the halacha. Yeah, I don't know if you, I mean, if you have seen the, the way the Torah is written, uh, the actual Torah scroll, or if you have a mezuzah or tefillin, you'll see that on top of each letters, um, there is crowns, and they're actually called um, ktarim, in which in Hebrew means crowns. They're like a little pointy, I'll call them crowns, yes, that's the best definition. Um, that seemingly they're not part of the letter itself. Yeah, because as you see the text over here, the Hebrew text doesn't have any, any crowns. It actually, it's very symmetrical. But in the Torah text, in the scroll, you see that there is different crowns or different added um, little sticks or little figures on top of the letters. And the source of that is, as the Talmud we just read, that 
um, Hashem was saying, or Moshe was telling Hashem, yeah, as he went up to heavens to get the Torah and to give it to the Jewish people, why are you, why are you wasting your time on all of these small little details that apparently they don't really, they're not a word, they're not a letter, they're just an addition sign or something. And God said, well, actually, from since the Torah is so precise, from every single, not only from every single word or from every single letter, but from every single crown on top of specific letters on the Torah, there's going to be many, multiple, multiple of, um, as it says over here, from every of the thorns of the Torah, there will be mounds upon mounds of halachot. In other words, that everything in Torah is really, really precise. And... If so, this just um, gives a, a basis for what we said before, or for the question that we had at the beginning on how come the Torah goes out of its way to mention a few more. Just a second. Yeah. No. I am Ciao. Hello. Okay. Yeah, so going back to the question that we said at the beginning, um, everything in Torah is precise. And the question now remains is, what is the lesson for us? What is the lesson for us from the fact that the Torah goes out of its way from using a common or most clear language and it actually um, adds not only words, not only thorns, not only words, but actually letters, additional letters and what is that teaches us? Okay. So now we're entering in a concept that is in the Torah, that is in Judaism in general. And with this concept, we'll be able to um, understand of what's the lesson on the Torah and our Parsha. So there is a concept in Torah that is avoiding negative language. In other words, even though that we all have, yeah, specifically in America, one of the, one of the uh, amendments in the, the first amendment in the constitution is freedom of speech, which gives uh, the freedom for everyone to say, yeah, at a certain degree, whatever they want in any shape or form. Yeah, all the time, yeah, as long as you don't interfere in other people's rights, you're able to express your rights the way you want it to be. And there's nothing that shapes the way or demands or, or, or condition of on how, how, the, how, how to convey the message you wanna say. Um, and, and yeah, in the society, society has their, their own uh, limitations or how to convey a message. Yeah, because even though you have the first amendment and you have freedom of speech and we're grateful to live in a country that has freedom of speech, but nevertheless, if you're in a movie theater and, and you'll start screaming fire, so it will not really work well for you because um, society just takes uh, that uh, responsibility for, or it's gonna take accountable whoever 
um, causes that chaos. The, the other person that didn't work very well for him when he screamed fire was with the story of, of these three um, convicts who, who were sentenced to the death to the firing squad. So they take out the first one and, and the firing squad director or the leader, he starts counting down three, two, one. And right before he says fire, the convict screams hurricane. So all the soldiers take cover, he managed to escape. They take the second convict and, and uh, also firing squad, the leader says, three, two, one. And before they manage to see fire, he says, hail. And they all take cover and he managed to escape. The third one, they take him out and they count down three, two, one. And the guy screams fire. And yeah, it didn't really work out for well for him very well. But in other words, we all have freeze and we all, we all have rights and we all are free to say whatever you wanna say. Society gives us a certain framework of how to say things. Now the question is, what's the Torah's view? What's the Torah's view on, 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 on language or on speech? So that's what we're gonna explore a little bit more over here. And one of the foundations of the Torah is avoiding the negative language. There is the Talmud, the Talmud says, yeah, I'm gonna ask from, uh, I'm gonna ask from um, Stan, yeah, please uh, read. As Rabbi Yehoshua ben Levi said, a person should never express a crude matter as the formulation of a verse was distorted by the addition of eight letters rather than express a crude matter as it is stated of all the pure animals and of the animals that are not pure. Correct. So we see from here that the source of the way we speak or the source of speech according to Torah needs to be in a proper way, the same way as we see by Noah. And that's what teaches us. Apparently what we learn from Noah or from the commandment that God gave to Noah is that if you are able to avoid and if you're able to express or to say or to convey your message in a proper way or in a um, uh, sensitive or avoiding any negative language, you have to put that effort and convey that message in such a way. As we see from the Torah, that the Torah even added a few letters, even though that for the Torah is very precise and very meticulous each letter. Nevertheless, <laughs> The Torah added, added those letters. The reason for that is because the message that wants to give us is how to talk. You have to speak in a way to avoid any negative language. Now the question is, we read before that the Torah is describing animals that are pure and impure. And multiple times the Torah says, yeah, uses the word unclean or the word in Hebrew, tamay, which is the opposite of tahor. So how these two go together? I mean, it's, uh, since they're both um, texts from Torah, they're both true. Now the question is, how do we take the, both, of this, both of these teachings at the same time? Yeah, and this question, it's not my question, rather is the Rebbe's question in, um, in his talk. So I'm gonna ask from, um, Susan to read the question. 
is extremely puzzling. The term Tameh, impure, can be found in the Torah more than 100 times. So wouldn't it be far more sensible for the Talmud to question this term that is repeated so many times? Yeah, that's the rabbi's question. And the rabbi said, that's the rabbi's question. Like, what's, what do you mean? That uh, from one side, the Torah says, the animal that is not pure and avoids from saying unpure animal, because once to teach us that, you have to have, avoid negative talk. And at the same time, the Torah uses multiple times the word unclean. So how these two lessons or these two facts in Torah, they go together. So now we're gonna, yeah, now we're gonna analyze a little bit more in the concept of halakha. Yeah, halakha is more the, the Jewish law um, of how speech, what, what, what not, not the Torah view in, 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 in theory, but what the halakha says and concretely what the halakha says about speech. So we have a, yeah, we're in text number six. Text number six says, and you shall not wrong one man, his fellow Jew, and you shall fear your God for, for I am the Lord your God. Right away, the Torah says that we're not allowed to speak Lashonara. We have, there's different types of, uh, of, of speeches that are that for strictly, strictly forbidden by the Torah. And those are, yeah, those are Lashonara um, or straight up lying. Yeah, Nashonara not necessarily means something that is untruth. Yeah, you could be saying something that is truth, but it's something negative about someone else. Um, and also as well, ona, which at the same time is like hinting negative things about someone, even though you're not stating that directly. Or if you're straight up lying, all of those three things are very taken very seriously according to uh, the Torah and according to Allah specifically. Yeah, so we just read the, the, the verse that says that that that's the source for not talking negative um, about anyone else. And now we're going to the halakha, which the halakha is the, 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 the Jewish code of law. Yeah, I'm going to ask from... Um, Adele, Adele, to read us these two paragraphs. Um, with, starting with included. Yes. Included in the prohibition of ona'a is one who speaks of another matter, which implies the shortcoming of his fellow. For example, if someone is asked a scholarly question, they should not say to one who is not versed in that field, what do you respond here? or what is your opinion in this matter? So it is with all similar instances that cause emotional pain, even though he is not embarrassing him outright at the moment, and he is not calling him names or embarrassing his fellow in public. It goes without saying that one who ridicules another, even if he is only hinting, and even if it is the truth, this falls under the prohibition of wronging his fellow with words. Yeah, so we see from here that the halakha takes very seriously any negative talk about um, 
yeah, about any uh, that that speech has is very powerful, and that's why negative speech has to be totally um, avoided. That's we see from one side, yeah. That the the basis of the basis of, uh, of 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 speech is very powerful, yeah, and one needs to avoid it. Then we see in text number eight that it says the pasuk says, yeah. Distance yourself from a false matter and do not kill a truly innocent person or one who has been declared innocent, or I will not vindicate a guilty person. So if we look at the Pasuk and the verse, the verse doesn't say don't the, the verse says distance yourself from a false matter. And what this text wants to what this Pasuk is basically telling us is as we see in, by text number nine to be diplomatic. What does that mean? We'll ask from uh, yeah, Irene, if you want to read us text number nine. Here's a summary. There is, there is a saying in the name of the author Rebbe, it is forbidden to utter falsehood. Truth, on the other hand, needn't always be broadcast and publicized from the roofs. Yes. That's the Jewish approach for speech. In other words, if there is a message that needs to be conveyed, in other words, it's like this, your convictions and your, um, and your values cannot be altered or cannot be different or cannot change based on what other people's sensitivities are. Yeah, whatever values they are and whatever convictions you have, those convictions need to be truth to yourself. And at the same time, there is no need of, 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 as we said over here, to publicize those convictions if they're gonna be harmful or if they're not sensitive. There's no need to publicize those, um, uh, those convictions and those, those beliefs that you have if you know that it's gonna be, if you know that it's gonna be harmful to other people. So, so we see that Judaism this, um, strikes for this balance in between, from one side, being truth to yourself, from the other side, making sure that whatever message you're, you're giving at any point, it's a message that will, be, that will be received. And if it's such a point that the message is not gonna be received, so maybe it's not the time to say it, or maybe you're not the person to say that message, or maybe he, that's not the state that he's right now He's not prepared to receive that message. So, so the point of the point of this tupsukim that we see over here in the verses is that we have to find always the balance from being truth to ourselves and what really matters, but at the same time, not um, not um, offending anyone. And if someone will be offended, maybe it's not the time to say it. And as we said, as, as we read over here that you don't need to scream um, and publicize the truth if it's not gonna be received, if it's not gonna be welcomed. Yeah, and that takes us to this next section, which is throwing the needle of compassion and truth. Yeah, that's what I said before. Um, we're gonna ask from who you read. Um, Do you want me to we read? Joy, Joy Maxi. Okay. Yeah. Yes. 
Thank you. Rabbi Shimon, the son of Gamaliel, would say, all my life I have been raised among the wise, and I have found nothing better for the body than silence. The essential thing is not study, but deed, and one who speaks excessively brings on sin. Yes, so this is a verse of, it's, it's, a, it's a passage from Ethics of Our Fathers. And, and he's, he's saying the same point again, that the same way as is important to raise your voice and to, to stand up for yourself, for your truth, if your truth is gonna be, if the truth is going to be um, in jeopardize, the same way as you have to talk and you have to stand up for yourself to that truth, the same way is as important, since speech is so powerful, is as important to remain silent when the speech will not have such an effect. When the speech will not get through or when the message will not be conveyed in the proper way, one needs to be silent and not um, say the message. But at the same time, we read before that the fact that someone else might feel, yeah, if our truth, if the truth is going to be in jeopardized at the same time, we cannot stay still and stay silent. Of course, we have to act to defend that. After we got, yeah, once we got this, um, once we got this, this basis of, of, of the halakha, of a Jewish law and from the verses that we brought and the sources that we had, that we read about what is speech about. And it's mainly, yeah, the conclusion should be, yeah, I'll just go again for the conclusion is that the conclusion is speech according to Torah is really, really powerful. So that's why you always have to avoid yourself from negative speech. And, and the same way, since it's so powerful, it needs to be done not only you are free to say whatever you want, um, so, sorry, in society takes the yeah, first amendment, you're free to say whatever you want, the Torah takes that a step further. Even though you, you are free to say whatever you want, but the way you say it, it also it's important and it's also very powerful. And that's why every time we speak and every time we, every time we, every time we speak or every time we, we say something, yeah, it needs to be said in the most uh, sensitive and we need to avoid any type of um, any type of negative wording or negative um, yeah, negative ways of how to convey the message it needs to be we need to, to put, put it in the effort and even though it's maybe a few more words or it's not as defined but to make the effort and to say it, what we need to say in a positive way in a positive aspect um, after that we have the spaces, we're gonna go back and understand the question of what's the difference between the parsha of Noach, that the Torah uses a few more words in order to avoid saying the unpure animal, and the parsha in, later on in Leviticus where multiple times you see that the Torah says, even over a hundred times the Torah says the word unpure. Yeah, we have here. David, David, you want to read? Mike, Mike, are you there? You want to read the... Okay. The explanation. 
when dealing with language that comes in a halakhic context, then the ruling must be verbalized in the clearest words, even if the words are of crude nature, so that the halakhic decision will be crystal clear. Now we can understand why, in the majority of cases, the Torah employs the term tame, the benefit of brief language, overrides using clean language. Only with regard to the stories is it fitting that impurity and the like should be written in a manner of a distorted verse. Correctly, this is the basis of the difference between our parsha of Noach and the parsha and the parsha further on in Leviticus, and the reason for the change or for their precise using uh, the, the 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 words that the Torah chooses to use. When the Torah is saying a story, and in this case the story of Noah, the Torah is not giving with the story that is telling us or that is telling in the Torah, it's not giving a commandment or a, a instruction. It's just saying a story or something that happened. Yeah, not like in further on, further on in, 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 in Leviticus where the Torah is not saying a story, the Torah is commanding what Hashem wants from the Jewish people. And in these two type of frameworks and the two type of scenarios, the Torah has different uh, ways of how to express. By a story, the Torah is more relaxed in the words that it could use. It has, doesn't need to be as precise. So therefore the Torah needs to teach us that if you are able to change or if you're able to use a different word, if you're able to choose your words, you should always choose positive words to say and to give over your message. Not like, by Leviticus, where the Torah is giving a, where the Torah is giving a commandment, when the Torah gives a commandment, it needs to be as clear as possible. So that being clear of what Hashem wants from us, that is that overrides the fact of of using, um, of using a better language. Or using a positive language. Sorry, this reminds me of, of uh, yeah. Um, some people, some people use, some people when they want to refer to, to to cancer, they say yenidish. Yenidish words. They say yenemachla, which means that that sickness. Yeah, since it's such a negative thing, and yeah, no one should know about it. So that's why we don't even refer to it by its name. We say just you know that that illness. Now that's something we can say because, or, or yeah, whoever says it is not a doctor. But imagine, you know, someone who goes to a doctor and mm. asks the doctor, so doctor, well, what's the diagnosis? And he says, oh, it's yenamachla, it's dad sickness. You know, that just won't work. <laughs> so the doctor doesn't have the, the ability or the option to really choose his words and choose the way he wants to convey the message. He needs to be precisely and clear of what's the situation and how to go about it. But for those who don't, for those who are not doctors and not really diagnosing anyone, so you should choose and you should and you should go for the words that are positive words. Yeah, that also reminds me of um yeah, that's also, yeah, okay, we'll, yeah, let's continue and then I'll say what I want to say. Yeah, so that takes us to 
that takes us to um, to the next text, which it's uh, yeah in the same category, in the same framework, gives us the difference between um, between further on in Leviticus, where Hashem is saying what he wants, or what's the halacha, what's the law, opposed to Noah and Parsha, in our Parsha, where Hashem is saying the story. Okay, we have a Mimi, Mimito, yeah. yeah. Some halachic authorities have adopted a custom that when they issue a ruling about an animal rendering its trip, they are careful to use the polite term of it is not kosher, that avoid uttering the term trip. It was asked if this is an appropriate custom. In my humble opinion, it is incorrect to do so, as it will lead to mistakes. Sometimes the inquirer may not hear the beginning words, the words it is not, and only hear the final word, kosher, alone, and they will assume it is kosher. The result is that they are misleading people with the rulings. Yes, so this is the response of, of, uh, of, of Rabbi Shlomo Tachtel um, regarding, the, regarding this uh, behavior of some of the rabbis. Yeah, some of the rabbis um, didn't really get this message that we're, getting, that we're learning now um, to, to make the distinction between halachic, when the halacha comes into role, into place, and when the story or just talking, it's the situation. And, and they didn't really took that distinction. So when someone came to ask, is this animal, is it, is it pure, is it kasher, or is it taref? So they said, this animal is not kasher, because they want to refrain themselves from saying taref. But this is the response that is giving that that's not the way to behave. When you are a halachic authority, you need to say exactly the way it is as we read, because if you say it's not kasher, someone would, might not hear the, few, the first few the words yeah, of, of the sentence, and we'll just conclude it's kasher, and that will lead to, that will lead it to, yeah, to mistakes. So, so therefore, when it comes to the halakha, it needs to be really precise and really um, clear of what the Torah, of, of what the ruling is. And that's the same reason why the Torah, um, said to us or, or said so many times over and over that this animal is pure and this other animal is unpure because the Torah wants to make it clear when it's about alakhan, when it's about instructions, you need to be as clear as possible. As opposed, yeah, as opposed to Noah, that by Noah the Torah teaches us, and that's the conclusion, that's the that's the the the, the message of this of, of that's the message of this uh, of this class yeah that that um, that according to Judaism speech is so powerful that the way we talk needs to be a positive way and the reason for the difference in Torah itself is not hypocrisy the Torah it's not that in some places avoids in some places doesn't but the places that it can avoid it can avoid it has a has the ability to avoid it has the framework to avoid it it does it, as we see by Noah, that the Torah avoids it, and the framework that there is no way or there is no um, um, place, there's no space to make that change, so the Torah is as clear as possible. 
Yes. Okay. And now we're moving into, yeah, this is the conclusion. This is what the Rebbe wrote as well to um, one of the letters of the Rebbe that he wrote to someone who had a, someone who had a, a organizations for, for, for disabled people or disabled children. And, and the Rebbe, um, yet yeah, the Rebbe addressed that, yeah, I'm gonna read it with regard to Jewish retarded people, parenthetically, I prefer some such terms as special people, not simply as a euphemism, but because it would, it would more accurately reflect their situation, especially in view of the fact that in many cases, their retardation is limited to the capacity to absorb and assimilate knowledge. While in other areas, they might be quite normal or even above average. The Jewish identity factor is even more important, not only per se, but also for its therapeutic value. So what the Torah, what the Rebbe was saying is that the way we chose, the words we chose, it's really important. And instead of calling people, apparently calling people retarded was acceptable back then, um, but it needs to change to special. Yeah, and this is not the only place, but in many places the Rebbe always urged to change. Um, for example, in, in Israel, yeah, in Israel, the hospitals were called Bet Cholim, which means the house of the sick, that's the translation. And, and, and the Rebbe always encouraged to call Beirafua, which means the house of healing. Yeah, someone doesn't go to the hospital um, and focuses on the negative, but rather goes to the hospital and focuses on the positive and, and the fact that someone heals from that place. As well, there's the story of, and the year 1976, there was a group, there was an organization that, that, they, that they take care of, of, uh, of uh, not fallen soldiers, but soldiers who got injured, Israeli soldiers who got injured in battle. Yeah, and they, they need, maybe they need a, um, special care or they need a more attention and more, uh, yeah, they need help. So there's this organization that they give all of these benefits to us or they, they help out soldiers that went through war and they're, um, they're disabled or they're not, yeah, I'm choosing their words over here, that they're not, they're disabled basically. And, and so this organization just brought all of the soldiers to, to a meeting with the Rebbe. Um, and the Rebbe said, this organization was called Nechei Tzahal. Nechei means disabled, and Tzahal is, yeah, the Israeli army. So these were like the disabled of the Israeli army. And the Rebbe, one of his main point of, that the Rebbe had was that the name of the organization got it totally wrong. And it shouldn't be called Nechei Tzahal, rather should be called Metsuyanei Tzahal. Metsuyanei Tzahal means the excellence, those who went even above or beyond the normal, yeah, and, and, and that was an impact that they had in their physical bodies. Uh, some people were missing limbs, most people were in wheelchairs. And, and one of the soldiers said that those words that the Rebbe said, he still has until today. That he realized that he's not a disabled person, but rather he's a exceptional person. He's an exceptional soldier. So this is just a few stories here and there where we see that the power of speech and the power of speech is, is so big that we have to use it and we, at any time, yeah, at any time and every opportunity that we have 
but to try to use it in a positive way and and always try to avoid in a, the negative yeah and yeah as we learned of course not when you want clear instructions when you want to say to someone if you're able to if you're not able to if if this is kosher or is not kosher instructions need to be clear as water and there's no place there's no space to play around with it I hope, I hope the class was clear enough. Yes. Um, thank you. Yes, thank you. guys you. have any questions? Thank you. Yeah, for challenging me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Cool. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much. Um, yeah. Thank you for a great class. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank, 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 thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. you. Good night. Good night. Good night. I don't know how to stop this. Hola. I don't know how to stop this. <laughs>